Well, I'm going to ask you, because you just, you just sat down, right? And, but I'm going to ask you to stand for a moment again, because I want to pray. So, um, Father, we come into your presence and we ask that in these few moments that you have given us and we have set apart, that you would speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts about maybe something going on in our own life or maybe someone around us or in ways that we can invest our lives to help set people free, to help them know the incredible love that you have for them. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. Well, we're going to start into a series called Exodus. We're actually going to do this throughout the year a number of times. We'll take a few breaks. But to, today, it's a family service, so I thought I would kind of do an intro service kind of sermon that would just give you a couple themes, a couple things that have happened um, in this book. I could give you many things. But Exodus means it's all about a way out. And it's these two words in the Greek, ex and hadas, which in, in the Greek means way, path. Hadas means way, path, or a going. And ex, you know that root because you've heard it in words like exit or exile. It's out. And so the, the word just simply means a way out, a departure, a leaving, an emigration, usually of a large people. If you look in the dictionary, that's what it talks about. A group of people who are leaving a certain place, which means, in a sense, if they're leaving somewhere, they're becoming immigrants. As they seek a new place, a new land. Well, the second book of the Old Testament has the simple name Exodus. And it is about a departure of a group of people who were enslaved in a place called Egypt. And they got there um, earlier on in their history. A nomadic tribe from Abraham who came from Ur and traveled all the way. And was told that he would have a land. But he kept moving. And, and, and like a shepherd, nomadic would move. And they moved to different parts. And, and then they, in a time of famine, Joseph, who was sold as a slave from this family of Abraham into Egypt, rises to power. After 400 years, he's forgotten because there's a new pharaoh, there's a new ruler in the land, and this group called Israel, given the name Hebrews in that time, Hebrews, they were in a certain area where they were quarantined and kept. And the book of, Mo, the book of Exodus is all about Moses. No other book in the Bible focuses on one person like this book does. Moses is found on every page, whether he is being described or is talking. He's, in, he's all throughout the book. Moses is front central. He's essential to this book, Exodus. He's the main character. Yet God's the hero. God's the hero. God's the one who says... Moses and comes to Moses and as a child saves him from sure death. And God is the one who calls Moses to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And God is the one who performs sign upon sign through Moses before Pharaoh and Egypt and even the people of Israel. And he brings Pharaoh and Egypt to their knees. And God is the one who cuts a path. He makes a way. Anybody, anybody know how God made a way through? See, did he, did he, did he swim? Did he sail? Oh, come on, you guys. Did he fly? Okay. No. Backed up against the Red Sea as they are going along, and Moses doesn't take the shortcut, and all the people are going, what's he thinking? Here comes Pharaoh's army, and they are against it, and God makes a way when there seems to be no way. And we'll find this again and again throughout this book of Exodus 
Next week we'll talk a little bit how God makes a way through fear and how God makes a way eventually through failure and all kinds of different oppression. You're the main character. This is what's so amazing about the love of God. Because he created you in his image and you have a will, you are the main character of your story. You ever thought of that? You're the main character of your... Every page of your, your story is about you. But God wants to be your hero. God wants you, like he did with Israel, to enter into his story. Not just to say, God, would you be a part of my story? God, would you, would you come along and be the hero? And God says, yeah, I'll be the hero. As you enter into my story, I will write a story with you that is, is beyond what you could imagine. Or what you could think. And we could look at a whole bunch of different things, but I just want us to look at three things this morning. And one is God sets us freedom from destructive labels. That's what you see in this story. God came to set Israel free from a label that they had lived with for hundreds of years. It wasn't a positive label. And I know just how things like the cross, now people wear the cross. The cross wasn't always a positive thing. And, and so you have these kind of things in movement in the way people reflect on it. But in that time, it was... Something that stung when it was set on the lips of an Egyptian. And some labels really hurt. It was negative. It was malicious. It was used by non-Israelites in a disparaging sense. It's similar to a racial pejorative name that we would give to social groups that are immigrants. One that I could just use that people have used throughout history is gypsies. Even the word Jew doesn't have always the best of meaning. And, and so in this way, this word Hebrew, in literature of that day, outside the Bible, people known as Hebrews are referred to as propertyless, dependent, immigrant, social class. There's, there's an Amarna letters, which is really just clay pots, which they found in Egypt, where it speaks of them in negative terms. If you go to Genesis chapter 43 and 32, at one point, Joseph is bringing his brothers and he can't, he's in tears and he, he doesn't want the brothers to see, so he goes into a room where he eats by himself and his brothers are there and it says they served Joseph by himself and the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them, with him, with Joseph, they didn't know, it, you know, they, they ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews for that is detestable to Egyptians. Genesis 14, 13. It's the first time you have it. Abraham, the Hebrew. If you look in the NIV study Bible, they'll give you some notes where it will talk about the fact that some of the extant literature referred to him this way. In a doctoral thesis by um, Kai Wei, titled The Role of Language in Anti-Immigrant Prejudice, What Can We Learn from Immigrants' Historical Experiences? She kind of states this, and I put it in my own words. Labels are a way of stigmatizing a people or a person in order to put them down. It is a way of creating a sense of hierarchy in society. And we call people names, maliciously label them, and the effect is to, in a sense, destroy their sense of worth and value. To label a person or a people in a negative way allows us to discriminate and stereotype them in order to control and dehumanize them. It's a slow process, but it destroys. And if you've ever had a label growing up as a kid, you probably know what that means. In Nazi Germany, they used to call the Jews parasites. In the Deep South, they would call the blacks names that I, don't even, I can't even say because it would feel so profane. 
And all that was done as a way to put them down, to destroy their soul in order to raise up themselves to control. We have a saying that many of you have learned as kids, right? You say it with me, sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? Names, they'll never hurt me. That's baloney. Names may not break bones, but they crush, they shatter spirits. They hurt, labels destroy. They tear to shreds the person God has created and loved. And I don't know if you can read some of those names, but there's all kinds of names as a little kid. Some artwork that was done of a little kid of names that, that I hear. And you may have experienced that. I was in fifth grade with a young man. I believe his first name was Dan. I don't remember because we had moved soon after that. But in fifth grade, there was a guy that everyone picked on in the class. And we called him Fish. He looked a little bit, but you know, you know how kids do that. And we just picked on him. And I went into sixth grade the next year. And in and, and the first part of that year, he left the school. We didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I left in, in the first part of seventh grade, moved down to Illinois from Minnesota. And I came back one time with some friends who I knew in that class. And I was asking him, I was either in middle school or in high school. I can't remember when it was. And I asked, whatever happened to the guy Dan that we used to call Fish? And one of the guys just said... Really matter-of-factly, it was about a year or so after when his middle school years that he took his life. I unknowingly, as a kid, I contributed to that. There's kids in here. Kids, be really careful what names you call other kids. And if, if someone's calling you a name, you need to know God loves you and what they're calling you, that isn't who you are. Parents, be so careful with the way you throw around labels. I'm not going to get into the whole immigration thing, but the way you call people labels in your home, be so careful. I don't care what side of the issue you stand in. It is ungodly, it is wrong for us to use labels that are harmful, that are set in ways that are disparaging. So it happened in Israel in the time of the Exodus. You are the main character in your story. God's the hero. Whatever label you've been given, you need to know that Exodus points to a greater Exodus to come, a time when Jesus would come and he would say... How great is the Father's love for us that he lavishes on. John says in 1 John 3, 1, that we should be called children of God. Anyone who says, Jesus said, you know, when you pray to your Father in heaven, just say, Dad. If your heart is such that you want a relationship with God, he doesn't say you got to go through all kinds of machinations and, and, and do all kinds of special things. He just says, just call on him, and he hears He loves you. And he has given you a new identity in him if you have opened your heart to him. Well, that's what you see here. There's a removing of labels. How great is the love of the Father that he's lavished on us that we, that you, can be called child of God. 
God sets us free from limiting mindsets because when you, you can label someone, what it can do is it, it can actually create kind of an enslaved mindset. And that's what was happening there. They're all in this group. Israel's all together. And, and as that was happening, just like it has happened throughout history, limiting mindsets are those that, that, that actually take away from, from who you are and it destroys your humanness. So you don't even have a sense of your natural abilities. It's a learned kind of thing. And so you see yourself less than other people. Do you know how they train elephants? You ever seen an elephant that has been tied to a, um, a, a tree? They have a little rope. And when they're really young, they tie them to a strong tree with a chain. And then as they get older, guess what? They have learned that they don't have ability, so they never even press into them. That's what happens. What's interesting to me is that here is an enslaved society. They were probably people who didn't have an awareness of some of their natural abilities. And God has given us natural abilities. And our natural abilities can do some incredible things. But whenever you have an enslaved mindset, it's really tough to break that. God sometimes has to come in. And if you're in a place where you don't know your abilities, one of the wonderful things is that God can come in and reveal to you who you really are and how he's created you. And you can begin to see this. And sometimes you're in a better place than people who have great abilities because you have an ability to know your own poverty. So here's Moses. He's born in a home when there's an edict that all the kids should be killed. And so what does God do? God is amazing. His plan to rescue is so incredible. He takes a little boy, puts him in this little ark kind of container, and one day the princess comes down, sees this little container, takes the boy out of a slave mindset, doesn't grow up in that home, puts him in the courts of the king so that he starts to learn something totally different. That was an intervention of God. It can happen in your life. What's interesting, though, is uh, when we, we look at these kind of uh, mindsets and, and the, the limiting one that comes from an enslaved mindset that that um, is, is what psychology today calls a fixed mindset. I was doing some work and looking at this, and psychologists talk about a fixed mindset. It's usually more of an enslaved mindset. And they talk about a growth mindset. And there's a growth mindset. is It's just the opposite of one who doesn't know their abilities. It's one who gets in touch with their abilities. And guess what? God has created us in such a way that we can do some incredible things on our own power. And so they go on and, and they share these things. Here's a fixed mindset, an enslaved mindset. People in an enslaved or fixed mindset believe that either you are or aren't good at something based on your inherent nature because it's just who you are, because you're, you're trapped. <clears throat> but people in a growth mindset believe that you can do anything because your abilities are due to your own actions. Now, there's some truth in that. In a fixed mindset, you believe... She's a natural born singer. I'm just good at nothing. In a growth mindset, you believe anyone can be better at many things because all you have to do is practice. In a fixed mindset, an enslaved mindset, you, you want to hide your flaws so you're not judged or labeled a failure. In a growth mindset, your flaws are just a to-do list of things to improve. In a fixed mindset, failure defines you. In a growth mindset, failures are temporary setbacks. When it comes to the idea of being freed from an enslaved mindset, a fixed mindset, knowing you have a choice and a free will and ability to change is imperative. It's really important to break out of that so that you know your abilities. But here's one of the problems. This idea today in our culture of like a growth mindset 
puts all the weight on our choices, our abilities, and what we can do. And there is a limit. There is a limit to what you can do. When you come into a time, it's one of the reasons the, the word of God says don't put any other God before you. Because when you come into a time where you face sickness or you face financial difficulties or you have a relationship that's ruptured and you can't repair it because they don't allow you. And these things happen. He says when you're putting your trust in those things, your abilities will not be able to make it. When it comes to the greatest thing in your heart was that selfishness in this, this desire to move away from God and sin, you can't, you can't get rid of that. You can't get things right on your own with God. It takes something from the outside. And that's why he says, you know, don't put anything else before God because God is the only one who can come through. When you see there is no way, God will make a way. And I call that a God mindset. So, you know what? You don't want to be in a slave mindset. That's not a great place because it denies what God has gifted you to do. You don't want to be just in a growth mindset because it, again, puts way too much pressure on you in the sense that it's all about your abilities. If you can't do it, what is so wonderful, what you see of Moses is he had a God mindset. One of the first things that happens, he gets taken out of a slavery mindset. He's put in the courts of the king. He has a growth mindset. He gets out. One of the first things he does is he, 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 when he's beginning to see the plight of his people, he sees an Egyptian and he kills the Egyptian. There's two other Hebrew people standing around. And in his mind, he's thinking to these enslaved mindsets, they'll just with me. They'll, we'll start a revolution. And they don't. They just stayed enslaved. So Moses now has a a warrant for his arrest, runs away for 40 years, and God has to deal with the growth mindset that, you know what, Moses, you won't be able to do this in your own strength. This is one thing that you can't do. And so 40 years, God empties him of himself, and then God comes to him, and he says, Moses, I want you to go back and tell the people that I am with you, and we're going to go ahead and free these people. And he goes, well, and he just has every excuse in the book. I can't do it. He goes back to his enslaved mindset. I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I, I won't be able to do this. You know, they're not going to believe me. And God just goes, wait a second. All I'm asking you to do is to participate with me. I'm asking you to step into my story. And here's what he says. He says in, in Exodus, I mean, in, yeah, in Exodus, he says in Exodus 3.12, all you need to know is I will be with you. When I begin to push you and I move you into a certain direction, I will be with you. I will strengthen you. I will give you what you need if you courageously believe in me, trust in me. And and if you know that the label that you have is you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. And as I lead you into this place, I want to break you of the fact that you don't think you can do it. I want to let you know you have abilities, but I want you to know that you need my ability to do what I'm calling you to do. I don't know. You may be in a place like that today. You may be facing some stuff. You're going, man, God, you put me in a place here and I, I can't do it. And he's going, I, he didn't say to Moses, well, buck up. Yeah, you can. Right? So you may be in a situation in a marriage. You may be in a situation at work. You may be in a situation where you're just going, you know what? God, man, this is overwhelming. And God goes, I know. That's why he says, I will be with you. Now, there's one last thing that I would love to share with you. And that is 
that Exodus points to something greater. It points to setting us free from our imprisoning sin. Slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt was basically a picture of our slavery to our own sin. That's, that was, it's, if you look at the Old Testament, some people have a real hard time with the Old Testament. Old Testament are like stories for kids. And they put them in these concepts so that you can understand in the New Testament what God is doing when he sends Jesus. So God sends Moses. He's got to make a way where there seems to be no way. He needs to have Moses rescue the people from them. So he takes them out of the home of slavery, puts them in the courts of the king, puts them over here for a while, gets them ready so he knows that all he needs is to, be, is to know that God is with him, brings him back, God begins to do it, and he makes a way through the sea. Years later, all this is a picture pointing to the fact that God sends another rescuer, Jesus, who comes and says, we all live in a land of slavery. Jesus said this, chapter 8, verse 31 through 36 of John, to the Jews who had believed, and I'm speaking to Jews who should know the story. Jesus said, if, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. And I'm going, Did you not read the Bible? How can you say that we shall be set free? You may be feeling that way. I've never been a slave to anyone. This is the part where God dealt with me most in my life. This is what brought me to a place where I was on my knees and I said, God, there is some controlling sin in my heart that I can't conquer. So Jesus replied very, very I tell you truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So you need the rescuing power of Jesus over this. And so then I read, this is the verses that, that, that I read when God spoke to me. I, I, this is honest, I opened my Bible. I was in this place of desperation. I'm glad I didn't open it to something that said go do something bad. But anyway... I opened it and it said, I discover that when, even when, this is Romans 7, even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. I love to do what pleases God. So that was my heart. But I discern another power operating within me, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience, bringing me into captivity as a prisoner of the law of sin. What an agonizing situation I am in. And I, I can tell you, I, can, I felt that. I was like reading this going, I could write this. So who has the power to rescue me from the miserable man, from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? And Paul writes, I give all thanks to God for his mighty power has firmly provided a way out, an exodus through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So I'm going to, kids, this is, um, I'm going to try this here. I'm going to give you a visual illustration. Hopefully you'll be able to see it. Um, Grace, I feel bad I didn't ask you about these vases, so I don't really know if these are some of your favorites. I don't, I hope it doesn't explode on me, but anyway, this is, let's just say this is Jesus. And Jesus, like Moses, comes to this world. It, it, this was for every person in this room. And he comes into this world, and he is without sin, perfect. Loved, so perfectly, never, ever did anything that displeased his father. And, and we're told the reason he came for this rescue mission was because the world 
was full of sin. All sinned, says Romans 3.23, and fell short of the glory of God. And so the world, the Father who loves, is grieved as he looks at this. Because he created us according to Genesis. He created us like this, clean, something beautiful, nice, good. And so good you could, you could you know, drink it. But what happens to each and every one of us is at some point in our lives we know that we do what's wrong. We don't maybe do what we should do. We know it's right. You could be mean to someone. You could cheat on a test at school. You could lie, you could whatever it is. And, and what happens is sin enters into our life. And, you know, you might look at it and go, that's not too bad. And then, you know, as you go along and you get to really know yourself, it doesn't look real good at all. And, and who we are is not what we had hoped to be. Because sin brings a sense of shame and guilt. It brings a separation from God. And so Jesus came to rescue us from sin. And he, he said when he came, he came to take all the sin of the world. Every, everyone. He came to take all the sin of the world. And he said on the cross, on the cross, in the punishment of the cross, he would bear his punish, our punishment for our sins, our shame, our guilt, everything. He would take it if, 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 if we would just um, be willing to pour it in him. And so, that's what Jesus said he would do. But here's a, a, a special thing. And I, I like this one. This is like you or me. And it isn't a shoot, it's cute, shapely, whatever. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to drink it, though. I don't, it, it, it's, it's the word of God says imprisoned by sin. And, and God says, you know what? If you would just open your heart, here's what the Exodus is all about. He will come in and make a way. He will give you a new heart. He will give you a ability to walk out in your inner being. He will give you a new identity. It's not you're trying to become something. You are. Sin changed everything, but if you invite Jesus into your heart, it, he, as he comes into your life, will change everything. And you. I asked the prayer team, they said, pray for me, I don't do experiments, but you know what, God, thank you. Because <laughs> that's you. And so all I want you to do is we kind of come to the conclusion here, as we think about Exodus, I really want us to challenge, uh, be challenged in the, in the weeks to come, is how will God teach us in areas of our life to make a way out, to allow the identity of who he has placed in us to come true. But I do want to say this, I'm going to ask you to, to bow your heads, would you in prayer with me? Because I want to say to you right at this moment, you may need kind of an exodus experience. You may know, you may have had a week or even months where you have seen the depths of your sin and the darkness of it. And you may need to invite Jesus into your heart and your life to purify you, to give you his heart, to give you a new identity, to remove all those false labels, to begin to expand your mindset, not just the mindset that the, the world tells us we should have, this growth mindset, or to be enslaved in one that is, is not living up to the potential we have. You need a God mindset, and he wants to fill you. And so it's so simple. All you have to say is yes. Yes, I invite you, Jesus, pour your spirit into my heart. 
cleanse me, free me, empower me to be who you've called me to be. If you want to do that, I just invite you to say this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess my need of you. I confess my sin. I confess my limited mindsets. I confess my arrogant mindsets. I ask for you to fill me. Fill me with your love. Change my heart. Change everything about me. And begin to grow in me the person you created me to be. If that's your prayer, I pray, Jesus, seal that in your name. Amen. If you've prayed that, I would love to talk to you. Talk to someone who you know loves you and let them know. It strengthens the commitment you've made.